KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Art Power is presenting Indian fusion band Red Bharat, mixing Indian bhangra rhythms, hip-hop, and funk music, March 23rd at the Epstein Family Amphitheater. Tickets and information about upcoming concerts and events at artpower.ucsd.edu. Good morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Tuesday, September 21st. It's hot, but there's not too many places for kids to swim in San Diego. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. An FDA advisory committee says booster shots are not needed for all Americans, at least not yet. Dr. Francesca Torriani is an infectious disease expert at UC San Diego Health. She says the FDA panel did recommend Pfizer boosters for those over 65, people with underlying medical conditions, and those working in high-risk settings like healthcare. She says there's a specific reason boosters are being recommended for those over 65. The ability to produce neutralizing antibodies when we're older is, you know, and that we've seen in with the influenza vaccines and other vaccines is not as good. Additionally, Pfizer announced on Monday that its COVID-19 vaccine clinical trials showed it's safe for children's ages 5 to 11. Dr. Steven Spector is with UC San Diego Health Pediatric. Based on the adult data and based on the data in children who are older than 12 years of age, uh, one would expect that there would be very few adverse effects that uh, lasted for a prolonged period of time. Pfizer plans to submit its clinical trial testing data to the FDA for emergency approval, which could come by the end of October. A heat advisory has been issued for the San Bernardino, Riverside, and San Diego County Valleys. That includes the cities of Escondido, El Cajon, San Marcos, La Mesa, Santee, and Poway. Temperatures today are expected upwards of 105 in some areas. The heat advisory will stay in effect through tomorrow night. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, a journey through computation, data analysis, and real-world applications. Learn more about the online Master of Data Science program from UC San Diego at omds.ucsd.edu. It's hot and it continues to be hot in San Diego this September. But for families hoping to cool off at one of the city's 13 public pools, they're out of luck. KPBS investigative reporter Claire Tregesser found that the city has drastically cut back on its weekend pool hours. Do any of you backwards or forwards? Oh, look at Sharon Reeser and her three-year-old daughter Clara are practicing their swimming at a public pool in Kirasana. It's past five o'clock on a Friday, and Clara's lips are turning a little blue. It's late in the day for swimming, but they're fitting it in when they can. That's because this pool is not open on weekends. So Saturday swimming would be great because it's difficult with work schedules and school schedules to make it to swim sessions that are during the day, during the week. 
But across the city, there are hardly any weekend pool hours where kids can swim. And that's a big cutback from previous years. The city of San Diego has 13 public pools. In September 2019, all but one of them had weekend recreational swim hours. In total, across all city pools, there were 50 hours when kids could swim on the weekends. Pools were mostly closed last summer due to COVID. Now, this September, there are just three pools with recreational swim hours in Claremont, La Jolla, and San Ysidro. Each pool is open for two and a half to five hours total each weekend. When I was planning to go to that pool on Saturday, I thought as I was pulling out, I should call and see if it is open. Scott Pollock recently brought his four-year-old son Felix to the city pool in Tirasana on a Saturday. The website said it was open, but it wasn't. There is a level of frustration with it not being open, um, but more so there's a frustration around the level and lack of communication. The pool had switched from its summer hours to fall hours, but hadn't changed the website. Many of the city's public pools ended their weekend hours after Labor Day. That despite the fact that September is usually one of the hottest months in San Diego, with higher average temperatures than in June or July. And in previous years, city pools stayed open on weekends in September. So it's very important for children to be physically active. Noe Crespo is a public health professor at San Diego State University. He says children of color and children in lower income neighborhoods are less likely to know how to swim and less likely to be physically active overall. It's an unfortunate scenario that uh, depending on where your child lives, then, then that will determine if they have access to a pool, if they have access to sports. He says exercise helps kids physically, but also improves their mental health and performance in school. And cities should be responsible for providing those facilities to their residents. Cities are responsible to uh, um, provide the resources uh, in, in different locations and to look at also equity. A spokesperson for the city of San Diego wouldn't do an interview about the change in pool hours. But he sent an email saying the change is because the city is short-staffed. This is actually a nationwide issue, not only with pools and lifeguards, but with many businesses that utilize young workers to provide services to their customers, he said. The city pays pool lifeguards $15 to $17 an hour to staff weekend pools at previous levels would cost less than $10,000 a year, according to the most recent city budget. Sharon Reeser, the Tierra resident, is also thinking about costs. Since she can't go to her local city pool on the weekends, she's left with buying day passes at private pools, which could cost $60 for her family of four, or joining the YMCA. City pools, they're fun, they get great facilities. Her daughter Clara would especially like to use the splash pad at the Tierra Santa pool, but it's only open a few days a week from noon to three when Clara is in school. And that was KPBS investigative reporter Claire Tregesser, KPBS reporter John Carroll, and KPBS investigative assistant Katie Stiegel contributed to the story.
The U.S. has once again extended its non-essential ground travel restrictions with Canada and Mexico. KPBS's Alexandra Ronhell has more on the impacts border restrictions have had in San Isidro. White House COVID-19 response coordinator Jeff Zients says border restrictions with Canada and Mexico will extend through October 21st. The restrictions were first placed in March of last year, and since then, it's been a series of monthly extensions. Carlos Guerrero is the store owner of Elite Tactical in San Isidro. He says business is slow. I would get a lot of uh, Mexican cops since I do sell tactical gear, so boots and holsters and uh, clothes, that kind of stuff. Since the pandemic and the borders closed, it's been not a lot of movement, but uh, luckily they do have a lot of friends that come shop for them now. So the San Isidro Chamber of Commerce says since the restrictions started in March 2020, about 270 businesses have closed their doors for good. And that was KPBS's Alexandra Ronhell. The nation's oldest living park ranger is getting a Northern California school named after her for her 100th birthday. From California Hub member station KALW, Ben Trefney has more. Betty Reed Soskin is a ranger at the Rosie the Riveter World War II Homefront National Historical Park in Richmond. She's being honored by the West Contra Costa Unified School District, which is renaming Juan Crespi Middle School in El Sobrante as Betty Reed Soskin Middle School. Soskin founded Reed's Records in Berkeley with her former husband, Mel Reed. She was active in the civil rights movement and later worked for state assembly members. She was also part of the planning and development of the park, where she still works as a tour guide. The district charged a committee with finding a new title for the school named after an 18th century Franciscan missionary. They considered Choqueño Middle School to honor an Ohlone tribe that originally inhabited West Contra Costa County, but they chose Soskin and will honor her the day she turns 100 years old. The naming ceremony will be broadcast on Facebook Live at 9.30 the morning of Wednesday, September 22nd at West Contra Costa Schools. Happy birthday, Betty Reed Soskin. And that was KALW's Ben Trefney reporting from San Francisco. Coming up, with extended families in Afghanistan, those living in this country with special immigrant visas are left in a terrible limbo. They're working to ensure that their families safe from the ever-threatening Taliban while protecting themselves in America. We don't have anything in hand for my brother from the Americans. So he really scared from the Taliban. He left his own province and hide himself with his family in another province. More on that next, just after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. In the years before American troops left Afghanistan, tens of thousands of Afghans were admitted into the U.S. In many cases, their lives were in danger because they helped the U.S. military. Now, some are trying to get their family members out of Afghanistan, but it's not clear how they can do that. From San Antonio, Carson Frame reports for the American Homefront Project. Many Afghans who aided U.S. troops now find themselves in a terrible limbo. They've made it to America on special immigrant visas, but their extended families are still in Afghanistan with no real way to escape. We don't have anything in hand for my brother from the Americans. So he really scared from the Taliban. 
uh, he left his own province and hide himself with his family in another province. That's Kyber, an Afghan man who's lived in San Antonio since 2017. He worked as a reporter and translator for a NATO-led security mission that trained Afghan forces. He has to go by his first name because his loved ones are under threat from the Taliban. One day or one night the Taliban will come and knock the door and they will ask about my brother and uh, they will, maybe they will kill him. From the U.S., Kyber has tried just about everything to evacuate his family. He submitted their names to members of Congress and worked sources on the ground in Afghanistan. He says he may soon consult with an immigration attorney to petition the State Department. But he doesn't hold out much hope. Whatever I could do, I did it. I, I, I can't see any uh, chance for my brother or for my other family. But if something happened, that will be a miracle. The Center for Refugee Services in San Antonio has been helping Kyber and other Afghans navigate the uncertainty. Until a few weeks ago, the agency collected names of vulnerable Afghans and forwarded them to Washington. The center's director, Margaret Costantino, stood outside in the heat, helping a crowd of Afghan men compile their lists. Okay, thank you so much. You don't write? You don't know how to write? Okay, wait, let me get a pen. But that's no longer happening. The agency's approach changed after the U.S. withdrawal. Costantino now refers Afghans to immigration attorneys. She says she's been told that Afghans living in the U.S. need to apply for humanitarian parole on behalf of their vulnerable family members. I'm optimistic, but I'm scared because it all hinges on whether or not people can get out of the country safely. I don't know what the Taliban, nobody knows what the Taliban will agree to. Immigration attorneys are facing long odds. The American embassy in Kabul has shut down, the borders are closed, and Afghanistan's infrastructure is crippled. It's hard to get documents into the right hands. There are three apparent options for stranded Afghans. They can apply for humanitarian parole from the U.S., get an e-visa for another country, or apply for refugee status in a third country. Farheen Siddiqui is a managing attorney at RAISIS, a refugee resettlement agency. She says even if their paperwork is in order, would-be evacuees still have no guarantee they can get out. The really difficult thing is who is manning the airport and how do we ensure that it's actually safe? They're identifying themselves. They're basically admitting that they're fleeing Taliban rule, right? So the security measures are just in flux there. Kyber hopes Americans won't forget about stranded Afghans during this critical time. My message will be think about the Afghans and uh, don't leave them alone. Try to evacuate them, bring them back here in the United States. So like their lives will be safe here with their families. He says he wants that safe life for his brother and will keep pushing for it, even though things look bleak. That was Carson Frame reporting from San Antonio. This story was produced by the American Homefront Project, a public media collaboration that reports on American military life and veterans. Funding comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. And that's it for the podcast today. Be sure to catch KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio or check out the Midday Edition podcast. You can also watch KPBS Evening Edition at 5 o'clock on KPBS Television. And as always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day.
KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org.